0: It's Sunday morning, and we're talking about the life of David. Can anybody remember or tell me who David's sisters were? Huh? Who were David's sisters? Zeruiah. Zeruiah, for sure. Abigail. Abigail, yeah. Oops, I'm writing with a yellow pen. Abigail. Abigail. And Zero or you can call it Zerahiah or Zerahiah, Z E R U I A H. What was significant about What was significant about his sisters? Their sons, huh? Their sons. Their sons, and who was the sons of Zerahiah? Zerahiah. Who were they? Joab. Joab, boy, without a doubt, Joab. Hi. Absalom. Absalom. No, wait a minute. That's David's son. Abishai. A-B-I-S-H-A-I. Abishai and uh, who else? Asahel. A-S-A-H-E-L. Now what is particularly significant about Joab? Huh? He's mean. He's what? David's commander. <laughs> he was what happened? how did he end up being David's commander in chief? He loved to kill people. <laughs> <laughs> he did like to kill people. He liked well let's put it this way, he liked to murder people. He was a pistol. Something he was else. The first. David said, whoever would go in and run out the who? Jebus. What? No. Jebus. Run out. Whoever would go in and conquer. What was the name of the town before it was called Jerusalem? Huh? Jebus, J-E-B-U-S or Jebus. Jeebus. Jeebus. That's what the town was called before Joab conquered it. And after he conquered it, what did they call it? Jerusalem. And who did Joab kill? A whole bunch of people. <laughs> he did that. Absalom. Uh, Absalom. Well, yeah, he killed him down on in life there. Killed Absalom. He killed Absalom. And who else did he kill? Uriah the Hittite. Well, that was real serious, Uriah the Hittite. He wanted to get, David wanted to get rid of Joab, but he's the one that employed, he employed Joab to kill Uriah. Who was Uriah the Hittite? Bathsheba's husband. Bathsheba's husband. That's right. Bathsheba's husband. Bathsheba's husband. Husband. And who was Bathsheba's grandfather? Ahithophel. 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 Ahithophel was Bathsheba's grandfather, and what was his position with David? He was he was what he was his chief counselor, he was the friend of David, friend. and what did he do to uh what did Ahithophel do that was major? He went over to Absalom's camp and what was it that Absalom did? What did he do major that caused Ahithophel to go over to him? Huh? Well, he wanted to take over his throne. He ran him out of town and David took his armies. Does does anybody remember the three commanders that... David took with him the three commanders the three generals that David took with him when he left Jerusalem went up north and crossed the Jordan River and went over to a city called Mahanim does anybody remember the three generals Joab, Abishai and who else you might not remember this other guy Joab and Abishai, that's his nephews. Why did he take them? Because they're killing machines. That's why he took them. That's what they were. They were killers. You don't want to cross either one of these guys. They'll get you. And David is so sorry. What did he keep saying about these two brothers? He said, these sons of Zerahiah are too hard for me. I can't handle them. What was it that Abishai was always doing? When they were chasing Saul, what was it Abishai kept saying? I want to kill Saul. (laughs) And what would David say? Don't kill the innoons. No, he is the anointed of the Lord. You don't mess with him. Well, and who else did uh, Joab kill? Joab just murdered Abner. Abner, and who was Abner? Huh? He was Abner was the a commander for who? he was Saul's commander commander of Saul's army now Abner was a good guy and he was commander of Saul's army and Saul was a bad guy and Joab was commander of David's army and David was a good guy and Joab was a killer who well he was something else did we get everybody that he killed he killed one other person. Amasa. Amasa. That was who? who was Amasa? Who was he Huh? Abigail's son was Amasa. That was Joab's first cousin, Amasa. That was Joab's cousin abigail's son and what did joab do he he came up to him and said, hey brother how you doing he ran a knife under his fifth rib no reason other than the fact what was it that caused him to do that who what what was a master's position David placed Amasa in the place of Joab and says, you're going to be my commander from now on. And Joab says, oh, yeah, you think so? Now, how could Joab kill him and take off with the army behind them? Because those generals were in charge. Of the whole nation, you remember what after, after Absalom was killed. Who killed Absalom? Joab. Joab. After the after he was killed, and they got back to Jerusalem after they conquered. Did uh, anybody remember how that that uh, that Joab killed? How he killed Absalom. Does anybody remember? Well what where where was where was uh Absalom when he killed him? He was hanging in a tree. Hanging in a tree from his hair. It, it the hanging in the tree didn't kill him. He had six pounds of hair on his head, and he hung got hung in a tree, and what was it that David had said to all these people concerning Absalom, don't, kill him. don't touch him. He is my son, and I love him. When Joab, it, Joab told one of his men, "Kill him," and the man said, "I cannot do that." King David said, "Don't anybody touch him," and Joab said, "So what?" And he took a spear and ran it through him. And then, when he gets back to Jerusalem, gets back to Jerusalem with David. And they have won the battle, and David is crying, Absalom, my son, my son. He gets the word that he's dead. And Joab starts chewing David out like he's a stepson, just ramming David out. And that's because he could do it. Now, Joab, he couldn't do nothing to Joab because It was Joab, his commander, that he sent the message up into the land of Ammon and said, "Put, put Uriah the Hittite in the heat of battle and withdraw from him so he'll be killed. It was David who hired his own nephew Joab to put Uriah in the heat of battle and withdraw from him so he'll die. So David commits not only adultery with Uriah's wife, which is Bathsheba, but he commits murder by killing him. That always astounds me. People will say, I've got too much sin to come to Grace and Truth Ministries. Well, have you ever got one of your dearest friend's wife pregnant and then had him murdered? Have you ever done that? Well, that's what the psalmist David did. Now, who was it? Who was it that that uh, Absalom killed. Who did he kill? Does anybody remember? He killed his brother, Amnon. He had Amnon killed. And why is that? I need to... He raped his sister Tamar. And why is all of this coming about? It's judgment of God on David's life. Who told David, the sword will never leave your house? Huh? No. Nathan. Nathan the prophet stood before David and said, the sword will never leave your house. So, from that time, all the way to the end of David's life, all the way to the end of David's life, David had one problem after another in in first Samuel or second Samuel, the eleventh chapter, eleventh chapter, he commits adultery with with Bathsheba and in the twelfth chapter. Nathan comes to him and tells him the sword will be on your house from now on. And then in the 13th chapter, that's when immediately the judgment starts coming. When Amnon rapes his, it's Amnon, David's oldest son, rapes David's daughter, his half-sister Tamar. And then Absalom is another son in that family and he plots for how long? 2 years to get back to Amnon and get him. And what did what how did he, this come about? How did it come about that he killed him? He got him drunk. Okay. Well, he brought him to, down to a festival they were having 2 years <laughs> later and they got to the part in and he got looped and he killed him and he has to leave town. Well, who was it that brought him back to Jerusalem? Do y'all remember that? It was Joab that charmed his father and got him to bring Absalom back and forgive him. And when he comes back, what's the first thing he does when he comes back? Huh? Well, he does that. He sleeps with David's concubines. But when he comes back, he stands at the gate of the city and charms everybody coming in the gate until he gets the town Jerusalem following him. He formulates his own army. Then he takes off after his father, David, and he wants to kill his own father. See, Absalom had a murderer's heart. He wanted to kill his father, David, and take over the kingdom. And that's when they had the battle. And, of course, Absalom was killed. All of these things, this is like as the world turns. It's like the young and restless. It's a family squabble. In fact, Absalom, let me show you something. Look over here in 1 Samuel, the 8th chapter. 1 Samuel, the 8th chapter. We're going to look at something here. It's kind of interesting to know this. Uh, In 1 Samuel, the 9th chapter, the 9th chapter. And we want to look and see who Saul is, who his father is. The ninth chapter. All right. And there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bechoroth, the son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power and Kish was the son of Abiel Kish son of Abiel Kish Saul's father Saul Saul's father and his father was Abiel Ab I-E-L. Now, I want you to see how you need to pay attention to who belonged to who. Now, look over here in, in 1 Samuel 14. 1 Samuel 14 and verse 51. And Kish was the father of Saul and Nair, Nair. Now, word Abner, Ab means father. Abner, who was the commanding general of Saul, Ab means father, Nair. Nair was Abner's father. And look who the father of Nair was. And Nair, the father of Abner, the son of Abiel. So Nair's father was Abiel. Nair's father was Abiel. So Saul, Abner, who was Saul's commander, was Saul's Second cousin. Second cousin. This was a family affair. They were all killing each other. They were going after each other constantly. Now we're talking about how all these things came about. It's over family. I want us to go over here and I want us to look at the sixth chapter. We've worked our way up into 2 Samuel. Saul dies... In the last chapter, in that 31st chapter of 1 Samuel, then David becomes king of southern Judah in Hebron. Hebron is the southernmost city in Hebron. And still there is a northern kingdom. Now this is after Saul is dead. Saul is dead. He falls upon his sword in that 31st chapter of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, 31st chapter. And he falls upon his sword and kills himself. There's some uh, speculation that he wasn't alone in killing himself. That one of the Amalekite... People come in and helped him die. He didn't want to be taken by the Philistines because they would torture him. So, Saul is Saul is dead, but there's still a northern kingdom. Who's the head of the northern kingdom now? Once Saul is dead, does anybody remember? Abner. Abner. The reason Abner is as head of the northern kingdom the generals were always the head of the nation as far as military might he was the head but doesn't Saul have a surviving son does anybody remember who he was Jonathan. huh Jonathan. it's not a common name Jonathan. no John, Jonathan dies at Gilboa with Saul in that 31st chapter of 1 Samuel, he's got a son that survives. Kind of a mushy guy. Oh. Huh? Nobody remembers who that was? That's the one had on That's the one had on What? Go ahead. I'm sorry. We don't need to read it. His name was Ish. B O S H E T H. Ish Bosheth. Ish-bosheth. And he has a run-in with Abner. The only thing is, Ishbosheth, the surviving son of Saul, is kind of a pansy, and he threatens Abner because Abner takes one of his concubines. A concubine is is a secondary wife, and he takes one of the concubines of Ishbosheth. And Ishbosheth threatens Abner. That's not something you do. Abner is a powerful superman when it comes to leading the troops of Israel. And Ishbosheth says, Well, let's go over there and look at this. Let's look at this. It's right after we've looked at the third chapter of 2 Samuel. That's where you see the names of of David's wives and some of his sons in the third chapter. Right at the beginning of the third chapter of Second Samuel, and it talks about David had a firstborn, Amnon, and his firstborn was Amnon of Hinoam, the Jesuitus. His second was Keliab of Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And the third was Absalom, the son of Maacah. It's Absalom that goes after his firstborn, Amnon. The son of Maacah and the daughter of Talmai, king of Gesher. And the fourth was Adonijah. Now, Adonijah doesn't come on the scene till the first chapter of First Kings. Adonijah tries to assume the throne, and David has promised Bathsheba, his wife, that Solomon, her son, will get the throne of Israel. That's another story we'll get to later on. Adonijah was. Another sword that came against David's house. Can you stop and realize? David's sister's children did nothing but cause David heartache. And then Adonijah the son of Agath, and Shephatiah the son of Abateel. And the sixth was Ithrim, Agla, by Agla, David's wife. These were born to him in Hebron. And then verse 6 And it came to pass. It came to pass while there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David. So David is the king in Hebron, but Abner wants to give the kingdom to David. He wants to submit to the house of David. And that Abner made himself strong for the house of Saul. He's the general He's the commander in chief. And Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah. And father said to Abner, Wherefore hast thou gone in unto my father's concubine? All the concubines belong to the surviving king. Now, this is going to get Adonijah in trouble, it's going to get him killed. Don't get Adonijah, the son of David, killed because we get into First Kings. Adonijah tries to assume the throne of David with no coronation. He says, "I'm the next in line. I get to be king." Well, that's when Adonijah, in the first chapter of First Kings, he gets fifty men to run in front of a chariot, and they're hollering, screaming. God saved King Adonijah, but he's not the king. He hasn't received a coronation. He hasn't been appointed that. So Bathsheba goes, takes Nathan the prophet, and they go to David. And Solomon's just kind of in the background at this point. Up to this point, David is an old man. He's laying in a bed sickly in that first chapter. They go out, and they're trying to get some way to make David warm, and they find this beautiful young woman. Does anybody remember her name? Abishag. Abishag. <laughs> it may not have had a pretty name, but, boy, she was gorgeous. Abishag. They got Abishag to lie with David. And it didn't do any good. He was an old man about to die. And Adonijah in the meantime is going out trying to assume the throne. And he goes out and has 50 men go before a chariot. That's always the way the kings of Israel presented themselves. Has 50 men go before his chariot and say, say, God save King Adonijah. Well, Adonijah, this is when Bathsheba hears about this and she tells Nathan, we got to go to David, my husband, and he promised Solomon would be the king. So Nathan and Bathsheba go to David. They tell him, you promised that Solomon be king and here's your son Adonijah out here and he's trying to assume the throne. So David gets, in his old age, he's an old man, he makes a statement there right before he dies, he said, I go the way of all the earth, I'm, I'm dying. But he gets Solomon aside, has him receive the coronation, puts a crown on his head, and he has the people begin to shout, God save King, da- King Solomon! That's the word Hosanna. Hosanna means God save the king. And then Adonijah with his fifty men before his chair, they hear this and say, "What is this? David has made David has made Solomon king." And Adonijah gets humble real quick. And then he goes to Bathsheba and says, "Bathsheba, David told Adonijah, or Solomon told him." Solomon told Adonijah, you can have your life if you behave yourself. So Adonijah goes to Adonai and Jah. Adonai means the Lord Jah, the short for Jehovah. So they would name their kids religious names. So it means the Lord Jehovah is what Adonijah's name means. And Adonijah has Bathsheba go to Solomon and asked Solomon, Oh, can I have at least this Abishag for my wife? And Solomon said, You're a rebellious man. You know that those women, the concubines, belong to the incoming king. He said, You'll die for this. And Solomon had him killed. That's the same thing we're talking about here. A man can die for that, but... When you back up to this third chapter of Second Samuel, the man in charge of the northern kingdom is Abner, and Abner's saying, "You don't talk to me like that, Ishbosheth. I am in charge." So let's read this in verse seven. Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah. This is in the 7th verse of the 3rd chapter of 2nd Samuel. The daughter of Berea and ish said to Abner, Why are you going in to my father's concubine when they belong to me? Then was Abner very wroth for the words of ish You don't want to stir up Abner under any condition. He's in control of the armies there's not a king in northern Israel. Nobody's received the coronation. And, and Abner says to Ishbosheth, Am I a dog's head which against uh, Judah do show kindness this day unto the house of Saul thy father and to his brethren and to his friends and have not delivered thee into the hand of David? I can actually deliver you, Ishbosheth, to David. All along, Abner wants to give the kingdom to David and submit to David. Just say, there's no need in us having these two kingdoms. And Abner is an honorable man. Deliver thee into the hand of David, that thou chargest me today with a fault concerning this woman. So do God to Abner, and more also, except as the Lord hath sworn to David, even so, I do to him to translate the kingdom from the house of Saul and set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah and from Dan even unto Beersheba. So Abner says, My intentions is to give David the entire kingdom. Let's read about it. And he could not answer Abner a word again. Ishbosh has shut his mouth. Because he was afraid of Abner. You bet your life he's commanding the army. He just says, I'm a son, I must deserve the throne. And Abner sent messengers to David on his behalf, saying, Whose is the land? Saying also, Make thy league with me, and behold, my hand shall be with thee. This is Abner saying, I want to quit this split of the kingdom. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to turn it all over to you, David. And to bring about all Israel unto thee. And he said, well, I will make a league with thee. But one thing I require of thee, that is, thou shalt not see my face, except thou find first Michael, Saul's daughter. (laughs) Michael. Well, she is something else. She is the one, the daughter of Saul, that had been taken away from David when when David is running for his life and Michael stays with Saul. And David is saying, Abner, I don't want to see your face unless you bring my wife Michael to me. I don't know why he needs so many wives. And when thou comest to see my face, and David sent messengers to ish Saul's son is saying, deliver me my wife, Michael, which I espoused to me for a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. That was in the 18th chapter of 1 Samuel. Remember that? And he said, Saul said, if you'll go out and kill, get me a hundred foreskins of the Philistines, I will give you my daughter, Michael. Wait a minute. You already said that whoever killed the Philistines got your beautiful daughter, Merab. And he didn't get her because while David's out killing the Philistines, emasculate them, cutting off their genitals to take back in a sack to Saul. He gives Merab away. Just, you can't believe anything that Saul said. So he says, I want to see Michael, my wife. And Ishbatha sent and took her from her husband, even from Paltiel, the son of Laish. And her husband went with her along, weeping behind her to Bahurim. This poor guy didn't have a chance, did he? He just had to give up his wife that he had fallen in love with, and she was a king's daughter, and now her father's dead, and nobody, she hadn't got any control. Then said Abner unto him, Go return, and he returned. And Abner had communication with the elders of Israel, saying, You sought for David in times past to be king over you. Now then do it, for the Lord hath spoken of David, saying, By the hand of my servant David I will save my people Israel out of the hand of the Philistines and out of the hand of their enemies." And Abner also spake into the ears of Benjamin. It's not talking about the man Benjamin. It's talking about the tribe of Benjamin because Benjamin has been long dead. And Abner went in also to speak in the ears of David. He comes in a personal encounter with David and says, I'm going to make a deal with you. In David and David in Hebron, Hebron is the southernmost city in Israel at that time. And all that seemed good to Israel and that seemed good to the whole house of Benjamin. So Abner came to David, to Abron, and 20 men with him. And David made Abner and the men that were with him a feast. This is the commanding general of northern Israel who's come down And peace talks with David because Abner is a good man. He knows David is the legitimate king of Israel. He's going to give David the northern kingdom. Say, I think we ought to amalgamate everything. By the time you get to that fifth chapter, David is king over the entire nation and they're at peace because he's doing the will of God. And Abner said unto David, I will arise and go and will gather all Israel unto my lord the king. Abner knows David is king. But Joab is going to enter this picture and he thinks he's got a wild imagination going on. He thinks, he says, Abner's coming in there to trick David. That they may make a league with thee and that thou mayest reign over all that thine heart desireth. And David sent Abner away and he went in peace and behold the servants of David And Joab came from pursuing a troop. Joab entered this peace talk between Abner and David. And you can't expect anything good when it comes to Joab, David's commander in chief or his commanding general. And brought in a great spoil with him, but Abner was not with David in Hebron when he gets there. When Joab gets there for he had sent him away David is sent Abner away and was gone in peace and when Joab and all the host that was with him were come they told Joab saying Abner the son of Ner came to King David and he hath sent him away and he is gone in peace. Joab starts conniving. You can't trust this man when he comes on the scene. If he tells you the sun is shining, you better go outside and look. He's not to be trusted ever. It's David this David's nephew, and Joab came to the king and said, What have you done? Behold Abner came unto thee, and why is it thou hast sent him away and he is quite gone? He's chewing David out. He thinks nothing about jumping David's case. Thou knowest Abner, the son of Nair, that he came to deceive you. And he didn't. Abner's a good man. And to know thy goings out and thy coming in, and to know all that thou doest. And when Joab was come out from David, he sent messengers after Abner. He wants to get Abner aside. He don't like him. You know what I believe he's afraid of? Abner's going to take his place as commander of the armies of Israel. David knows if he can have Abner instead of his nephew Joab, everything will become peaceful, but he knows he's going to have to eliminate Joab. Now, Joab's going to have to be eliminated by Solomon. It will be Solomon that eliminates him. David can't bring himself to have Joab killed because he had hired Joab to have Uriah killed. Gosh, this is getting confusing, in not <laughs> Abner, which brought him again from the well of Sirah, but David knew it not. And when Abner was returned to Hebron, these guys go get him and bring him back to David. And Joab took him aside in the gate, took him aside in the gate to speak with him quietly. He says, come here, brother. Let me talk to you a minute. Uh. And he smote him under their fifth rib that he died for the blood of Asahel, his brother. When, I, when they were having those war games. And Asahil takes, after, takes off after Abner. You don't chase Abner unless you want to die. And Asahil was the younger son of the brothers. And he chases Abner. And Abner says, boy... If you catch me you will die and you're young and you can outrun me but you cannot fight me. You're going to die if you catch me. And Asahel caught Abner and Abner killed him. Joab and an Abishai watching. We'll get you. Well, they do that right here. And afterward when David heard it, said he said, "I and my kingdom are guiltless before the Lord." For from the blood of Abner, the son of Nair, even though David loved Abner, let it rest on the head of Joab, and on all his father's house, and let there not fall from the house of Joab, one that hath an issue, or that is a leper, or that leaneth on a staff, or that falleth on the sword, or that lacketh bread. So Joab... And Abishai his brother, oh, Abishai is involved in this. They slew Abner because he had slain their brother Asahel at Gibeon in the battle. And David said to Joab, "You're too much for me, boy." And David said to Joab and to all the people that were with him, "Rend your clothes." Gird you with sackcloth and mourn before Abner. And King David himself followed the bier. And they buried Abner in Hebron. And the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner. And all the people wept. Abner was truly a good man of God. He wanted to join the kingdom back with David. He didn't like the split. And the king lamented over Abner and said, Died Abner, a fool, as a fool dieth. Thy hands were not bound, nor thy feet put into fetters. You know that when Joab put his arm around him, he said, Come here, brother, I want to talk to you a minute. He just rebellious. But let me tell you, rebellion gets its pay. It's just like God told Samuel, told Saul in that 15th chapter of First Samuel. He said, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. The word witchcraft there is a very unusual. He tells Saul, when you didn't go to Amalek and utterly destroy everybody in Amalek, that's rebellion. I told you to do that. You cannot rebel against God's law. Once you find out the truth, you rebel against God, you'll pay. You say, that's the Old Testament. Let me tell you The laws of God are the same when you rebel against them. If you know what you're supposed to do, you have to do it. You say, but I haven't been living the way I should. Well, your life is not over yet. And God will beat the living tar out of his people when they live in rebellion. God's going to get Joab. God will get Abishai. God's going to get all these people that rebel. He's going to get Absalom. It will be God that does it. God says, I kill, I make alive, I wound, I heal. Someone dies, it's God's judgment. Then he goes on to say, Thy hands were not bound, nor thy feet put in fetters. As a man falleth before wicked men, God is saying here, that Joab and Abishai are wicked men, and it was Abishai that was always wanting to say, let me kill Saul. I'll kill him, Uncle David. And David said, leave him alone. He's the Lord's anointed. And all the people wept again over him. When all the people came to, Dave, came to cause David to eat meat, while it was yet day, David swore saying, so do God to me and More also, if I taste bread or aught else till the sun be down. David said, I'm fasting over Saul. Isn't it amazing, over Abner? Isn't it amazing he loved Abner and David loved Saul? And he kept on defending Saul being the anointed of God even after he's dead. And all the people took notice of it and it pleased them as whatsoever the king did pleased all the people and all the people and all of Israel understood that day that it was not of the king to slay Abner the son of Ner. David said I didn't do that I wouldn't have done that and the king said unto his servants, know ye not that there is a prince and a great man fallen this day in Israel David called Abner a prince and a great man you can name your kid Abner that's a good name and I am this day weak. Though anointed king. And these men. The sons of Zerahiah, Be too hard for me. I can't handle Joab and Abishai. My nephews. They're rebellious against God. The Lord shall reward the doer of evil. According to his wickedness. That's right. God's going to get both of them. He's going to get Joab and Abishai before it's over with then he goes into the next chapter and talks about Ish-bosheth. Ish-bosheth was the king over northern Israel and two men came in similar to the one man that came up to David in the first chapter of this book and this one man said I'm an Amalekite and I helped I helped kill Saul King Saul your enemy David said, you could touch the Lord's anointed without any any question about it? You just did that? And David had some young men fall upon this Amalekite that had helped put Saul to death. And the same thing happens here. These two men said, we've killed your enemy, David. Read here in verse 9. And David answered, Rechab and Beanna his brother, the sons of Remen, the Verethite, and said unto them, As the Lord liveth, who hath redeemed my soul out of all adversity, when one told me, saying, Behold, Saul is dead, thinking to have brought good tidings, I took hold of him and slew him in Ziklag. That was the young man that came and said, I killed Saul in the first chapter of this book. Who thought that I would have given him a reward for tidings and he didn't know? He gets no reward. He gets to die for killing the Lord's anointed. How much more when wicked men have slain a righteous person? This Ishbosheth had done nothing to you. He hadn't even done anything to me. He wasn't the king of northern Israel. In his own house, upon his own bed, they killed him while he was in bed, Ishbosheth. Shall I not therefore now require his blood <laughs> of, your, of your hand and take away from the earth? And David commanded his young men, and they slew them and cut off their hands and their feet and hanged them up over the pool in Hebron. But they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in the sepulchre of Abner in Hebron. Now, so this proves Saul was saved, Saul was a Christian. Well, Sir David never does condemn Saul. He does nothing but defend his honor constantly. Saul was a believer. He was anointed in the 12th chapter of 1 Samuel. He was picked by God in 1 Samuel, the 9th chapter. Picked out by God. He was of the wrong tribe to be king. So God had to cause him to turn. Now, in the 5th chapter, this is where David becomes king of all Israel they amalgamate northern Israel and southern Judah. There's nobody to defend against David. Ishbosheth is dead. Uh, Abner's dead. David is free to just to take over. And David is a peaceful man, and God comes to David in this chapter and says... And he has all the kings come to him from all around the world, all around the civilized world. And they come to pay him homage. Even even the kings of the Philistines come, and he is at peace with everybody. And he becomes the king of all of Israel, and everything is wonderful. Now, we get into that sixth chapter, which is a very interesting chapter. I don't know if I can get through all this today. It's a lot. Now, when you get to the the fifth, the sixth chapter, something happens that most preachers don't understand. God kills one of the priests of God. Let's read sixth chapter. Again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. Now, everywhere you find, everywhere you find something in, let me go ahead and say this while I'm thinking about it. When you're in the book of Samuel, you've got what's called the book of the kings. The book of the kings to the Jew was one book. One book. The book of the kings was 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles. Now when you're... My, it's not racing. All right. 1st and 2nd Samuel... 1 Samuel is about Saul and David. David is crowned king in the 16th chapter, and he's the king in God's eyes all the way to the 31st chapter. Saul is made king by God in the 9th chapter. He's received his coronation in the 12th chapter. And in the eyes of the people, Saul is the king till the 31st chapter. In the eyes of God, David is king. Now, when you get over to 1st and 2nd Kings, you don't find Baal and the grove, Baal and grove, in the whole thing is about... Saul chasing David from the 19th to the 31st chapter, trying to kill David. That's what it's about. And then you get into to 2 Samuel. You get into David is the full king of Israel. He's the king of Hebron. King and Hebron are starting off. By that fifth chapter, he's the king of all of Israel. And they're at peace. Then we get to something very interesting they do not have an ark of the covenant. The ark of the covenant was taken into battle everywhere. The everywhere the Israelites went into battle, the ark was God's throne. Let me show you something over in in because uh, this sixth chapter is about the ark of the covenant, what you're supposed to do and not supposed to do concerning the ark. Look over here in Isaiah 37. I'm just going to show you what the Ark of the Covenant is. Isaiah 37. 37. All right. Look at verse 15. Hezekiah prayed unto the Lord, saying, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, that dwellest between the cherubims. It's actually pronounced cherubim. Between the cherubim, thou art the God, even thou alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, thou hast made heaven and earth. He dwelt between the cherubim. The inner sanctuary. In the inner sanctuary, you had an ark of the covenant, and you had two embossed in this eight-inch thick veil. You had embossed cherubim. When the Bible speaks of four cherubim around the throne, that's because two of them were woven into the into this veil. Some say it was about eight inches, and then you had two cherubim one on each end of the Ark of the Covenant, and the wings would go over and touch the walls. So, Jesus dwelt, or God dwelt between the cherubim. He would come out of the cloud by day and a fire by night. He would sit on that Ark of the Covenant, and that was his judgment seat. A judgment seat was a mobile throne. a mobile throne. When the cloud moved, it was a fire by day, a fire by night, and a cloud by day. If that started moving, the Levites, particularly the Kohathites, sons of Levi, Koath, the Kohathites, it was their charge to move the temple, all of the, it was their charge to move the candlesticks, to move the altar of incense, to move the table of showbread, the brazen sea, and the brazen altar. These are made of brass. These inside are made of beaten gold. They made them out of wood, a kind of wood, I believe it was acacia wood. And it would not rot. And they would cover it with gold. These were gold inside. These were brass out here. Some say the brass was copper. We're not real sure what it was. Now, this was called the house of God here. The house of God. That word dwellest there in 37 and 16 The word "dwellers" is the word yashab, Y-A-S-H-A-V. And that word yashab probably has a growling sound, yashab, something like that, because they spoke with guttural sounds. That means to sit down, to settle, to marry, to inhabit, to make, to keep a house. This inner sanctuary was called the house of the Lord because he lived and led Israel from this this judgment seat. It was mobile, so when the temple moved, what is the white throne? The white throne, Solomon had a throne made of ivory and that was reference to the white throne judgment of God it was made of ivory so the white throne would be standing before Solomon's throne the inner sanctuary was called the house of the Lord the Bible says over there in Hebrews 3 and 6 Christ is the son of his own house whose house are we So we're the house of God. The Ark of the Covenant was sprinkled seven times on the Day of Atonement. Day of Atonement. That's the tenth day of the seventh month. The tenth day. And the seventh month was the month called Tishri, And Tishri was our month, September, October. So that's the Day of Atonement. It was coupled with the Feast of Ingathering. And another name for a Feast of Ingathering was Feast of Huts or Feast of Tabernacles in commemoration of the 40 years they spent in the wilderness. Now, so they would come in here on the Day of Atonement, and that offer upon the altar not the blood of a lamb on the day of atonement, the blood of a goat. It was the that bring so when the Bible says God hath made him to be sin for us, God made Christ a goat in our place, and the blood was sprinkled on that day on the Ark of the Covenant. What is sprinkled now? There in Hebrews ten. And 22, our hearts are sprinkled. Somebody said that. You said that. Okay, our hearts are sprinkled. What are they sprinkled with? What's our hearts sprinkled with? With the blood of Christ. But what does it call it? With pure water. Pure water is living water. They call the blood living water. The Jews did. As well as the water in those wells underneath the ground. The, The biggest rivers in the world are those under the ground and when jesus stood at the jacob's well in northern israel the woman of samaria came up to him and jesus said i'll give you living water and you'll never thirst again she said how can you do that you have nothing to draw with any water that was moving they call living water and they knew that it was pure so everything over here in the old testament is equal the Bible says that seven candlesticks is the church there in in revelation one uh, twenty and it also says that the seven candlesticks are the eyes of the Lord in zechariah four and ten, so the eyes of the Lord are the same thing as the seven candlesticks now let's So it means to build a house or marry. God was married to Israel in the Old Testament. That's why Jeremiah, when Jeremiah is preaching to Israel about their rebellion, he says, you've played the harlot there in Jeremiah, the third chapter. I'm going to give you a bill of divorce. God says, I'm divorcing Israel. I'm divorcing Judah. Don't have time to go into that. Now, let's get back over here to the sixth chapter It may take me a couple of weeks to get through this. Again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baaleh of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God. Where was the ark of the covenant? Where had it disappeared to? The Ark of the Covenant was dwelling in the temple here. But here, the temple's not built yet. Who gets to build the Ark of the Covenant? Who gets to build the temple? Solomon. Solomon. He's not king until 1 Kings. He doesn't even get his... He has a confrontation with God in the third chapter of 1 Kings. And Solomon said... I am just a child. I don't know how to rule this thy so great a people. God he said, Give me wisdom, and God said, Since you ask for wisdom, I'm gonna give you wealth and wisdom. So Solomon's not born yet. There's no place for the ark. What happened to the ark? Well, you have to go back to first Samuel the second chapter to find out where the ark is. First Samuel the second chapter. They have to have the ark to have the presence of God. Now they've got an honest, upright king, which is David as of this point. And in the second chapter, the reason the ark is gone is because of the two sons of Eli. Eli is the high priest in Israel. Eli. Eli is the high priest in the second chapter. He Is a descendant of Aaron. Aaron was Moses' older brother, and he was the high priest in all of Israel. Eli is a descendant of Aaron. And he's got two sons that are wicked to the core. God will not let you have wicked children and get by with it, especially if you're supposed to be a spiritual leader in his church he won't let you do that when you get down here to in 1st Samuel and in verse 11 Elkanah went to Ramah Elkanah is the husband of Hannah and Hannah in the first chapter of 1st Samuel says Lord I am barren my husband, Elkanah, has another wife, and she's got many children, one after the other. If you'll give me a son, I'll give him back to you for service. So she begins to praise God because he gives her, She give, God gives Hannah, opens up a womb. She's no longer barren, and Samuel is born to her. People will say, people will say, hannah prayed and she got a son she didn't pray god give me a son her prayer in verse 11 of chapter 1 and she vowed a vow and said o lord of hosts if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid but will give if you'll give me a child i'll give him unto the lord all the days of his life and there shall no razor come upon his head in numbers the sixth chapter that's the vow of a Nazarite. she says i'm vowing him to be a Nazarite, and he will serve you in the temple of god when he's born you notice she didn't say give me a son i believe i'm going to get one she said if you give me one i give him back to you so when he's born she takes him to eli the priest eli takes him into the temple and he starts doing service with Eli, but Eli's got two sons that are worthless. boy, there was a bunch of sons that were worthless, wasn't there a bunch of bunch of two sons. Do you remember any of the others? huh Aaron had two sons. who were they <laughs> huh There were two sons. To Nadab Aaron. Abihu. Huh? Nadab and Abihu, Abahu, yeah. Those were the wicked sons of Aaron. And Samuel had two wicked sons. You'll find them in the eighth chapter of this book of the their names were Joel and Abiah. A B I A H. Those were the wicked sons of of Samuel, and that's why the people cried out, Give us Give us a king to rule over us. We don't like your sons. We don't want them to become our rulers. Neither did neither did Eli knew that he wasn't making his sons behave. And you can see that in verse. First of all, how much time do I have, Mike? I'm not going to get through that six chapters. It's got so much to it of Second Kings. But let's look at Hannah's prayer. Hannah prayed in verse 1 of chapter 2. God's given her a son, and she calls him Samuel. Samuel is a construction of Shammah and El. Shammah and El. El is the Lord. Shammah means to hear. Samuel means heard of the Lord. And she was heard, her prayer was. So she gives... She gives the son, Samuel, to God. He's taken to the temple, and he lives with Eli. Now, here's the sons of evil, the evil sons of Eli. Elkanah went to Ramah to his house, and the child did minister unto the Lord before Eli the priest, the high priest. Now, the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. Belial is another term for the devil, Satan, and they knew not the Lord now, how can you be in how can you be in Eli's house and not know the Lord? That's a good question isn't it that's happened many times huh yeah he didn't want them to hear and the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant came, and while the flesh was in seething with the flesh hook of three teeth in his hand, where did the priest eat while they were on duty? They ate from the table of the Lord, which is that brazen sea, I mean the brazen altar. They would take a flesh hook, reach down in there, and whatever this offering, that day if it was a, cleansing of the priesthood and they were offering young bullock or beef they ate beef that day and every sacrifice had to be offered with salt so god sought to it that it wasn't a bland taste that all had to be offered with salt and they struck it into the cauldron all of all that the flesh should brought up the priest took for himself so they did in Shiloh and unto all the Israelites that came thither. Also before they burnt the fat, the priest's servant came and laid and said to the man that sacrificed, Give flesh give flesh to roast for the priest, for he will not have sodden flesh for thee, but raw. And if any man said unto him, Let them not fail to burn the fat there presently, then take as much as thy soul desireth. And then he would answer him, Nay, but thou shalt give it to me now. And if not, I will take it by force. This is the sons of Eli. They're doing things completely wrong. You had to do certain things with the fat. You couldn't just take it and do what you wanted. And Eli's sons were saying, give us the meat raw. Give it to us. We'll cook it the way we want to. Wherefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. Now you go down here to verse 27. And there came a man of God unto Eli and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, did I plainly appear in the house of thy father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? And did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest? Talking about Aaron. And to offer upon mine altar to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me. And did I give unto the house of thy father all the offerings made by fire of the children of Israel? Wherefore kick ye at my sacrifice and in mine offerings this is the prophet coming to Eli jumping his case because he's allowing his sons to live the way they want to and then he says wherefore kick it mine offering which I have commanded in my habitation and honors thy sons above me you're letting them do what they want and to make yourselves fat with the chiefest of all the offerings of Israel of my people and he goes on in here, and if we look at twenty-seven, twenty-nine, and thirty-four, this shall be a sign unto thee that shall come upon thy two sons, Hophni and Phineas, in one day they shall die, both of them. And I will raise me up a faithful priest. And God says, I'm going to do as I please. Mm-hmm. Then you go into the Third chapter where Samuel's is Samuel's asleep at night. And he hears a voice saying, Samuel. And Samuel jumps up and runs into Eli and said, you called? And Eli said, I haven't called you. Go back to bed. Samuel goes back to bed. He's just a young guy, just a kid. And he hears a second time, Samuel. And he runs back into Eli says, you called? He said, I haven't called you. It is the Lord calling you. And God tells Samuel, you tell Eli that I'm going to kill his sons because they haven't. Rebellion has a cost. When you allow your kids to be rebellious, there's a price in it. And then he goes on. Sam, i love verse 7 samuel did not yet know the lord neither was the word of the lord yet revealed to him this shows you that predestination is true god just comes to samuel and says samuel you're mine come here he doesn't accept the lord or accept anything and the lord called samuel in verse 8 again a third time and he arose and went to eli and said here am i and thou didst call me eli perceived that the the Lord had called the child, and therefore Eli said unto Samuel, Go, lie down, and it shall be. If he call thee, then thou shalt say, Speak, Lord. And the Lord came and stood and called us at other times. Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel spit, said, Speak, for you, I'm your servant, and I hear you, Lord. And the Lord tells him, the Lord said unto Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel, which both the ears of every one that heareth shall tingle. And that day I will perform against Eli all the things which I have spoken concerning his house. I'm going to kill his two sons. When I begin, I will also make an end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile And he restrained them not. Watch out how you let your kids get by with something. And therefore I have sworn unto the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offering forever. And Samuel lay until the morning and opened the door of the house of the Lord. And Samuel feared to show Eli what he had heard the Lord say. He was afraid to tell him. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And Samuel said, Here am I, Lord. What do you want me to do? And God says, What is the thing that the Lord? And Eli said, What is the thing that the Lord has said unto thee? I pray thee, don't hide it from me. God do so to thee and more if thou hide anything from me of all the things that he has said unto thee. And Samuel told him Every win, everything that God said he's going to kill his two sons, Hophni and Phineas. And it is the Lord. This is Eli's words. This is a tough thing to say when you hear the judges coming on your household. It is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. Eli says, If he feels that's good to kill my sons, let him do it. Boy, can you come to that place. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and none of his words did fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan, even to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord, one of the greatest men who ever lived was Samuel. Now, you get into, if you'll notice, if you'll notice in verse 4, you'll only find this word in verse 4 and 2 and 5 and 1. The word of, the, the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now, Israel went out against the Philistines to battle and pitched beside Ebenezer. Ebenezer was an area. Ebenezer means helping stone. You find Ebenezer here. You find it in five and one. You don't find Ebenezer anywhere else in the Bible. Now, what happens? The Philistines attack Israel. God's going to, God says the sons of Eli will die. So in verse, I'm not going to read all this, verse 11, the ark of God was taken. Where was the ark? When they're bringing it back to Israel in the sixth chapter of 2 Samuel, it'll tell you about it in this, these first chapters here. The ark of God was taken and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phineas, were slain. They were killed. And there ran a man of Benjamin out of the army and came to Shiloh, the same day with his clothes rent and with his earth on his head, and when he came to Eli and who sat up on a seat by his wayside watching, Eli's heart trembled for the Ark of God. Where was the ark coming from? Its coming from, where God had placed it, when David's bringing it back in the sixth chapter of second Samuel. Eli, Eli, verse 15, was 90 years old. And the messenger comes to Eli in verse 17 and said, Israel is fled before the Philistines, and there hath been also a great slaughter among the people. And thy two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark is taken. They don't have any hope without the ark. And it came to pass when he made mention of the ark of God that Eli fell from off the seat backward by the side of the gate and broke his neck and he died for he was an old man and heavy and he had judged Israel for 40 years. So the Philistines get the ark. They put it up in their temple in the fifth chapter and their temple of Dagon, which they take it to, uh, Dagon was a was the temple of the Philistines, and that was over in Gath, and they had a temple for Dagon in all their major cities, and they set up the Ark of the Covenant, and it, each morning they'd wake up, they'd go to their temple of Dagon. Dagon is the fish god. Dagon. Dog is the word fish in the Hebrew. Dagon. Is plural. That's plural for fish. Believe it or not. Dog in gematria adds up to seven. Dagon adds up to 12. And I don't have time to go into that. Seven is the number of the refined church. Twelve is the number of the complete church. Now. So the ark keeps falling. They'd come in there every morning. And their god Dagon would fall down. And first his hands and his feet would be broken off. And the last time the The last time the ark was, the last day, they came in and the head was broken off and the hands and the feet were broken off of Dagon. And the heads of the Philistines said, get that thing out of here because God sent emeralds. We don't know what they were. Some people call them hemorrhoids. It was worse than hemorrhoids. It killed the people. And those leaders of the Philistines said, get that out of here. Well, go to chapter 6. This is what was wrong in the 6th chapter of 2 Samuel. And the ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months. And the Philistines called for the priest and the diviners saying, What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us wherewith we shall send it. To his place. Send it back to Israel's Do something with it. It's a curse upon us. And they said. If you send away the ark of God. Of Israel. Send it not empty. But in any wise. Return him. A trespass offering. Then you shall be healed. And it shall be known to you. Why his hand is not removed from you. Then. Said They what shall be the trespass offering which we shall return to him and they answered five golden emeralds and five golden mice according to the number of the lords of the philistines for one plague was on you all and on your lords wherefore ye shall make images of the emeralds and images of the mice that near that that mar the land and verse 7 tells you how they send it back and therefore make a new cart and take two milk kind on which hath both no yoke and tie the kind to the ark and bring their calves home for them now they send the ark back to Israel you see, the 6th chapter of Second Samuel is about bringing the ark back to Israel where it belongs. Because David is the king of Israel in the 6th chapter. They have peace in the land. David wants to restore the ark to where it belongs. And when you look at verse 7, it tells you where they send it to on a new cart. And the men of Kirjatharim came and fetched up the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab in the hill and sanctified Eleazar his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. So it stayed in this house until David is going to bring it back in the sixth chapter of Samuel. And they sent it on a new cart. That's exactly the way it comes back into the land. And the ark is never supposed to be sent on, a, on wheels ever. Anybody who touches the ark of the covenant dies. Mm-hmm. That's the law of God. Who? We. Let's read back in the sixth chapter of 2 Samuel. If you rebel against God and especially if you know the truth do I have any time Mike? Eight Eight minutes. Not going to get through this because I got to go back to Numbers. I got to go back to Leviticus. The only people that are allowed to carry the ark are the Kohathites. Their job was to Break down when that cloud started moving, their job was to take everything and move it. The Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant, let me see here. had rings on the side of it, on both sides, and it had staves in it. And the staves were never to be removed. And only the family of Koath could pick it up and carry it. It was never to be carried on a wagon of any kind. Wagons were given to israel but none were given to the kothites so you couldn't carry it on a cart that's how it comes back to israel and let's read it here david arose and went with all the people that were with him from baal of judah to bring up from thence the ark of the ark of god as we found out it's been carried away been possessed by the Philistines and it's in the house of Abinadab the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubim. and they set the ark of God upon a new cart no and the only people that are in charge of it are priests and they knew better than what they were doing they're living in rebellion. It's been a long time since it's been home. And it doesn't have its permanent home because its permanent home is gonna win when Solomon starts building the temple of God in first Kings. In first Kings the third chapter, he praises great prayer to God. Then he begins to build the temple and he finishes building the temple. He finishes building the temple in first Kings. The ninth chapter he starts building the temple in the fourth chapter has cedars from Lebanon shipped in by his cohorts there, and in the ninth chapter, he finishes the temple and then in the eleventh chapter, he allows his seven hundred wives and three hundred concubines to keep all of their sun and tree gods. Oh, what you want to go? Solomon, what are you doing? It just shows you when you think. You stand, you better take heed lest you fall. Now, let's read this and see how it comes back to town. They set the ark of God up on a new cart, put big quotations around that, highlight it in yellow, and put a red circle, a new cart, and brought it out of the house of Benadab. That's where it was taken to when the Philistines shipped it back. That one it was in Gibeah, and Uzza and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, a priest of God. You think Uzza was also a priest of God? The only ones that are priests are the ones that are born of priests. Uzza knew, drove a new cart, and they brought it out of the house of Abinadab which was at Gibeah accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of fir wood, even on harps and on psalteries and timbrels and cornets and cymbals. There were no church of Christ here, were there? They don't believe in musical instruments. And when they came to Nakon's threshing, for Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God to hold it, for the ox had shook it, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. What for? He was a priest. He touched the ark of the covenant. And God smote him there for his error, and he died by the ark of God. Whew, it seems awful unfair. They're getting the ark back. He was a priest. He knew what he was supposed to Look back at Numbers fourteen. Numbers fourteen. To really get all this down, I gotta come back. Numbers fourteen. All right, fourteen, and verse fifteen. now, wait a minute, that's not right. No oh, numbers four. What am I thinking of? Numbers four, verse fifteen. Numbers 4, verse 15. When Aaron and his sons made an end of covering the sanctuary and all the vessels of the sanctuary, as the camp is set forward, after that the sons of Koath shall, Koath was one of the descendants of the and we're going to go into their duties next week. After that, the sons of Koath shall come to bury it, but they shall not touch any holy thing lest they die. Uzzah knew he wasn't supposed to touch it. He was a priest, but he did anyway because he's afraid the ark is going to fall. What do you do if you're ushering the ark back into the kingdom and it starts to fall off of a wagon? First of all, it's not supposed to be on a wagon. If it starts to fall, you jump back and go, Whoa, God, you take care of that. I ain't going to touch it. And he didn't do that. He just. Don't you think God was already bad because it was on a cart already? That he's what? God was kind of upset because it was on a cart. Well, it shouldn't have been on a cart. Right. It was to be carried on staves. Let's keep reading here. These things are the burden of the sons of Koath in the tabernacle of the congregation. It's amazing how people don't pay any attention to God, isn't it? Now, you'll die if you if you don't do the things that God says. Your life will die spiritually if you're not involved in doing the things of God. Am I out of time? Yeah. I'll come back next week. We'll look and see more about us david got all upset at Uzzah, but david wasn't a priest david was a king and he comes from the tribe of judah he didn't know all the laws of the priest he may have been aware of it but he starts jumping at god why did you kill him god said watch out the way you talk to me it's amazing if you're disobedient and rebellious to god Don't think that that's Old Testament. He won't do the same thing to us. He'll do a lot to us when we just ignore and rebel against him. I have rebelled against God. Have you? And God has beat me with an inch of my life. The only reason I, if I say this, please bear with me in my folly and indeed bear with me. I speak foolishly. I'm really trying to live godly now because God has beat me with just half to death in my life because of my rebellion. If you ever find anybody who's really living godly and righteously, that's because there was a time in their life they didn't. You can't just come up and say, well, I can't be like you, Jim. Well, I used to be like you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Teach us that we can't rebel against you. There is a price for rebellion. Fight our battles. We'll praise you for everything you do. Even that that seems evil, we'll praise you for it because you tell us in everything, give thanks. We'll praise you for all things in Christ's name we pray, Amen. It's well, a lot of story, isn't it? Yep. I'm going to get through this. Amen. We're going to keep going until we find out what it's all about. I wish I could remember the names. Remember the names. <laughs> well. What? We lost Oh, yeah. Well, if you'll spend a lifetime studying these guys like I have, you'll still even get confused at times. What would you say, Jim? I'm sorry. I said if you spend a lifetime studying these like I have, you'll still get confused at times. I know exactly